Okay, so anyone who knows me, and honestly, at this point, anyone who listens to the podcast, because I guess we've just (laughs) gotten real close around here, knows that I do not wear bras. And like, that's not some sort of an over-exaggeration. You can ask any of my friends. I truly do not ever wear bras. However, there have recently been some circumstances where like, I just have to. I've been saying yes to more things. I feel like we've been going to more events and there are just some outfits. I got to do it. And when I tell you I have finally found a bra that makes wearing one bearable. Like I'm never going to be an everyday bra wearer. It's not in the cars for me. But when I have to, the only bras I can wear are skims, which I'll get into the specific ones in a second, but we all know this comes as no surprise. Like I have been an OG diehard skims fan since day one. I am a fan of every single product they make. You know the way I feel about the underwear, the clothes, all of it. But now adding bras to the mix, specifically the Fits Everybody t-shirt bra, because You guys know the way I feel about the Fits Everybody collection. I could talk about that for forever, but specifically the t-shirt bra, it's just so comfortable. I don't know, the straps don't dig into you. It's probably the only bra I've ever worn where when I get home, I'm not like dying to take it off, which I cannot express how massive of a feat that is for someone like me. It's just comfortable and it just does what it needs to do. And I am such a fan, which like no surprise, I love everything Skims makes, but here to confirm the bras are as good as you would think that they are. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A through 46H. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Isabel. And welcome to another episode of Comments by Bravo. Hey, Iz. Hey, Em. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Three really good episodes this week. Amazing. The Bravo sphere was just buzzing from beginning to end. I know. I know. I didn't watch Andy and Anderson on Watch What Happens, but I heard great things and I saw some TikToks and everything I saw was like straight serotonin. It is 30 minutes straight of just giggles. I was laughing so hard. And honestly, you know, it's good when it makes it to TikTok. That's how I feel about Kathy Hilton because Julie will randomly quote Kathy Hilton or say, oh, I saw she said that on the show this week. And I'm like, how the fuck do you know that? When Julie hit me with the who is hunky dory quote, I was like, wait a damn minute. Have you been watching or did you just get all this information? She's like, no, I literally know everything about her from TikTok, which is great for us. It's great for us. And also it's validation that Kathy has made it to TikTok. Exactly. Anyway, so we're going to do our normal Salt Lake City, Potomac, then Beverly Hills, but just a few things we wanted to talk about first. I'm sure you guys have seen this video of Tom Girardi that's going viral. For anybody that hasn't, we will put it in the description. It was a video from page six. And we'll get into what actually went on in the video in one second. I just have to say my overwhelming thought, like I need to just get it out. I recognize that every single thing Tom is being accused of is disgusting. Nobody is defending his character, none none of that. However, this video of this man who is clearly suffering from dementia or something of the sort, to be bombarded by paparazzi in this way, I swear to you, the only way I can describe how I felt after watching it was dirty. Like I felt like I needed to take a shower, almost as if it was like an ethics thing. I think it's hard to watch anyone get bombarded and hounded by paparazzi. It's just an overall uncomfortable thing that we could never imagine. But just this felt so wrong. And we're not Tom Girardi apologists by any means, but you just have to look at this like from an ethics perspective. You're right. And then you see the same paparazzi or I think the same paparazzi going after Erica the next day at the airport, repeating everything that Tom says to her. It's just it just felt like really toxic. and I. Everything they did was so wrong, but also the Tom thing really just hit me in a different way. Yeah. I mean, you know, 
for me, at least when I was watching it, I don't know if this resonates to anybody else that saw it. I couldn't help but think about my grandparents that have suffered with dementia. And it's like, you just you see that this person is clearly in a fragile state. And there's so many times that the paparazzi does things that are just so violating. And this to me was just a perfect example. And for anybody who didn't see it, I'm sure you're going to go watch it now. But basically to quickly recap, he's walking out of this facility. The paparazzi comes up to him and basically starts asking him questions about what's going on, asking him if he likes the new place that he's living in, and then asks, did Erica know? And he kind of pauses for a second. You can see his confusion. And then he just very quickly says, like, I think she does. And so page six and other places really ran with that headline of like, Tom Girardi speaks out saying he thinks that Erica knew this whole time. And it's like, listen, whether or not she knew is irrelevant, whether or not he knew that she knew is irrelevant. What he says in this video to me is absolutely no indication of the an answer to that question. This was a guy that was so clearly disoriented. And I just think it was so taking advantage and like, I understand there are also people that are a little bit skeptical. And I saw some comments saying, you guys are falling for this act. That's, yeah, if I'm falling for it, I'm falling for it. I think the man has dementia or something of the sort. And you're never going to get me to say that I don't feel that way. I, I really felt uncomfortable watching this video. This video to me had so many layers because aside even from how I felt they were really taking advantage of a situation, trying to get clickbaity headlines that, I mean, work. Here we are talking about it. It is really the first time we've seen him in any capacity speak about it. The video, what Tom says doesn't make sense. And to me, I've had such a hard time believing anything Erica says and knowing what is the truth from her and from the tabloids and from social media that to now see physical video of him kind of adds a whole new perspective to the mix. And, you know, if I was skeptical before that something was wrong with him, to me, this really clarified, like, okay, this is not the Tom Girardi that I saw on TV last season, like Kyle said in this episode this week. So charismatic, so personable, sharp as a tack. And I just don't get or think that he would be able to be like this as an act. I just don't. One is not even, because I agree with you, I don't, but also like, I'm just never going to sit here and and speculate on that. I just I it just feels wrong to me and I don't know if it's because I feel I'm personalizing it a little bit because I know many people that have suffered from dementia and you know, I see this whole thing online of like, well how is it possible that he could be that way only a season ago and now he is? Sometimes the decline can be very very quick. And it just, the whole speculation of it feels so wrong to me. Like, yes, let us call him out for every single other thing. What he allegedly did to these victims is disgusting. The way that he mishandled money, all of it. I'm the first one that's going to say that. But I just, I need to know if other people felt that way from watching that video. And I have to imagine that they did. It was, it was wrong and it was a total violation of the paparazzi. And honestly, it's not just him. We talk about this all the time. It's no different than them going up to, you know, a mother that just got out of, giving birth or whatever, any sort of a vulnerable situation, it's just wrong. Yeah. And then on top of it, for people to now read this and say, oh, Tom is admitting that Erica knew things. It's like, it's just simply not what happened. Yeah. It's just not what happened. Again, whether or not she knew it, that this video is not going to be confirmation of that. No, definitely not. Yeah. Anyway, one other Beverly Hills thing before we get into the actual episode is I want to quickly talk about Camille's tweet. Can we? Camille Grammer on Twitter is just, it's something I, like, I've never seen before. I feel like, and I say this positively, she is loving every second. Like she's really milking this. Oh, because she gives zero fucks. 
Honestly, as a Bravo watcher, there's nothing we love more than either a housewife, a former housewife, or any sort of former Bravo cast member that continually gives zero fucks. Yes, because especially now that she's so far removed, she gave zero fucks when she was on the show for the most part. So now to not care at all what anyone thinks or says about you or what you reveal, she's not so caught up in it. So she really just goes for it and will answer anything. And she also watches the show still and gives her unfiltered thoughts. At the Bravo stand tweeted, Camille, did you hear of the Tom and Erica rumors before she came on the show? And Camille responds, yes, one of the housewives mentioned it at Andy's baby shower. Andy's baby shower? Yes, I would like to take you guys back to January 2019, right? She's saying that that's when she first heard of this. By the way, not just heard of it, she heard of it from somebody in the Bravo world. So at the very least, that's just interesting for us from like a timeline perspective of when potentially the rumor mill started to go. Yeah, and also on top of the whole Bethany thing that we spoke about last week, it just starts to paint the picture of how everyone was reacting when this news came out and maybe how so not shocking it really was. Right. Exactly. Exactly. While we're here, before we get into Salt Lake City, one, this is according to Best of Bravo. We have no idea if this is actually confirmed, but there are rumors that Naomi is coming back to Southern Charm, which I would think would be very interesting, don't you? Yeah. Not because I think anything would happen with her and Craig. I'm almost 100% positive he and Paige are together. But I would just like to see the dynamic. And also, I think she makes great TV. And post-breakup, like to get the tea on that with Matul. Also, there is just something about a, honestly, not even a Bravo, any sort of reality star that comes in post-breakup because the energy is like off the charts. Yeah. Anything else you'd like to mention before Salt Lake City? Oh, I have something I want to mention. The former Housewives, I don't know if it's an extension of Ultimate Girls Trip or if it's a whole other show, but they were filming at Dorinda's house in Bluestone Manor in the Berkshires this weekend. And this cast, I mean, I saw it written out on a list. But to see Brandy, Eva, Tamara, Phaedra, Vicky, Jill, Zarin, and Taylor Armstrong and Dorinda standing together, I mean, I am like... So fucking excited. No, it took me out. Like it took me out. Are you kidding me? Like Tamara and Vicky are sharing Hannah's room in the Berkshires together and fucking shit up. Can I tell you honestly, this is I feel maybe an unpopular opinion because if I look at the list of housewives here, probably in terms of most iconic, like you're maybe gonna say Phaedra or Jill or Tamara. To me, I there was something about the Taylor Armstrong presence that just did mm-hmm. something to me. I know. I just don't know if she'll be as messy as she used to be. Like she's so settled and like married and has like a nice quiet life. And she's been so out of the housewives game just overall that I'm really curious to see how she goes. And Brandy Glanville is there. I mean, if we can trust anyone to kind of throw a bomb and start drama, it's Brandy Glanville. I know. And you know, listen, I've always had a soft spot for Tamara. You know, I have. I just, I can't. I'm so excited. So excited. That will be a great one. So I know we're all kind of operating at a different skill level when it comes to makeup. Like I have some friends who they do their makeup and it looks like they got it professionally done. I have others who know nothing about any products. And then I would say I'm somewhere in the middle, like by no means am I very skilled, but I think I can hold my own. And in terms of my everyday, I'm just doing mascara, lip gloss, and maybe a little bit of highlighter on my inner corner. 
So if I'm only using a few products, I need them to be excellent. And I've recently been very into the Thrive Cosmetics mascara, which I'll tell you about in a second, but just in general, a note on the company. For every product purchased, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive, which I just love knowing that I'm buying from a company that does that. And in terms of their mascara, so it's the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. You guys have seen that. It's the viral turquoise tube. I've saw it all over social media before I ever started using it. And it's a unique formula that creates tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. It's also super easy to remove. So it slides right off with warm water. It doesn't leave smudges. And the ingredients are really nourishing. So they support longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. It really just gets the job done. Like you will see what I mean when you try it. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash CBC. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash CBC for 10% off your first order. Okay, let's get into Salt Lake City because really, we are just starting off the season strong. This was a stellar second episode. Stellar. So much happens. It is so unbelievably eerie. I know we keep using that word to describe these situations, but when it's not just Jen, it is also Stuart and they are having a scene in her closet that you now know, or again, allegedly is built based on fraud that they (laughs) were in together. It just feels very creepy. And not even seeing them together. It's talking about how she has so much stuff and how she has all these expensive bags and shoes and clothes and how, oh, I got to donate some, you know, I have more clothes than anybody else. And later on in the episode, it's it's literally a transition scene, but they're like, I guess, pretending to do work. And she's like, did you get the call from that CBD brand? Did you get the contract? And he's like, yeah, I got it. Should be signed, sealed, delivered by Monday. I'm like, oh my God, who the hell are you trying to fool here? Yeah. When they talk about business, I now... It's like, I can't. It's very, I mean, it's obviously totally different, but it's not so dissimilar to when Erica was talking about how great Tom was in Tahoe. Right. And then now you look back and you're like, why you got to bring that up? Just don't, just don't bring it up. Right. Like how simple would it be to not? Yeah. Then you wouldn't have that on camera to maybe come back and bite you in the ass one day. Yeah. But that's the narcissism of a person like Jen Shaw, where she truthfully, I think, to the deepest level of her soul, assuming that all of this is true, again, we don't actually know, thought that it would never, ever, she would never get caught. Yeah. And that she believed her own bullshit to an extent. Yeah. Anyway, so when she FaceTimes Heather, it's like, on one hand, I am all for their meeting because it makes such a good TV. However, as much as I adore Heather, I don't trust her ability to stand firm in her stance with Jen. And so I think it scares me almost from like, a perspective of somebody that cares about her, you know? Yeah, I just love Heather and I want to protect her at all cost. And it's so hard when I know her heart is always in a good place and she just wants the best with Jen. But I also want to be like, no, like, don't just lie down. Like, don't be so soft. Stand up for yourself. I mean, we get into this later, but Jen did and said horrible things about her and she's just willing to take her back. And I almost felt like I related the most to Whitney when Whitney was saying like, I don't have a good feeling about this. I had to pick you up off the floor and you got to give her a little bit of a hard time. Don't just accept her back with open arms the minute she says, oh, I'm really sorry about everything I said and tries to wipe the slate clean. Right. And I feel like something that we spoke about a lot last season is clearly Heather is somebody that has done slash is doing the work in terms of like being really introspective and obviously recognizing that there are emotional wounds that she wants to help heal for herself. And I think that that's a great thing that I'm so in support of. However, you know, 
as she said in this episode, like old habits die hard. She wasn't, wasn't talking about this, but old habits also die hard when it comes to allowing yourself to not be treated with the same level of respect. And I think that like she has struggled with acceptance in so many areas of her life. And this is a perfect case study of that. You know, like what's going on with Jen is that she just wants total acceptance, even if it's at the risk of herself being disrespected. She doesn't prioritize that enough. And it's just as somebody who I think in this situation, Jen is way more in the wrong than Heather. That's my personal stance. It makes me upset on Heather's behalf. Yes. And I think Heather knows that Jen feels like she almost needs her. And that's kind of a good feeling to be wanted as a friend. It is a good feeling. That's the thing. Like you and I can sit here all day and say that we know that, you know, factually that is wrong and that shouldn't be a motivating factor, but nobody's going to be holier than now. Everybody wants to feel needed. That's human nature. Yes, of course. Yeah. Anyway, we'll get back to that. The Brooks thing, it's not that we found out anything new, but I don't think we ever really saw it from Brooks directly. And like, you can see he's genuinely so upset when he's talking to Meredith about this. And again, she then goes in her confessional and she says the word homophobic, which I think, you know, this and last episode is the only time she's ever said it. She never said it on social media. No, never. And Brooks, I don't think has ever really said that either. But now it has to come to light because the things she is saying are not just overall, just negative things about Brooks. They're very specific. Right. And, you know, I almost felt, I don't know the best way to put this because I don't feel that you should have to like voice something that was hurtful in order to have an impact. I really don't feel that way. At the same time though, her vagueness, I think wasn't helping her. And now that she's getting a little bit more specific, I do think that she can almost leverage that. Again, that's not the reason she's doing it. She's doing it because she's upset about the way that her son was treated. But if we're talking about it from like a persuasive angle, I think the specificity of the words she's using actually is probably helping. Right. And not just to say, oh, Jen's being mean to my son on social media, because how many times have we heard that about everybody? But to really get down to why it's so problematic, why it's hurtful to her and to Brooks, and also why it's just completely unacceptable. Right. Which like, you go to this next scene when Jenny and Lisa go to Jen's and they sit down and, you know, here Lisa is again, as we said last week, kind of confused as to her stance on this, but fine. She's trying to have this conversation with Jen. And similar to what you were saying before of like Jen really started to believe the bullshit, like she genuinely believes this narrative that she is spinning of like, this 21-year-old kid said something about my vagina. And so that completely justifies anything that I did to him. And this is important to note because Heather said this last week with like, if you repost something, I think that that's you basically saying yourself. Jen clearly has a big separation in her mind between if she writes it or if she reposts it. So I think that she feels like a lot less guilty if she wasn't the one that outwardly said the thing about Brooks and only liked it or reposted it. And to me, in the age of social media, there really isn't a difference. There's zero difference. Uh, Yes. Okay. Maybe it's dramatic to say there's zero difference, but it still counts and it still holds weight. And I just cannot believe as this goes on that Jen thinks it's a valid excuse or a valid reason to say, well, you know, he said all this shit about my vagina. He said like these couple snarky comments because she was showing her vagina like when she was dancing, maybe she wasn't wearing underwear, but nothing like the punishment does not fit the crime in any way, shape or form. And it's almost more disturbing that she continues to bring it up and use that as her like excuse or as her reasoning and think that it it matches and think that that's okay and holds enough weight. Well, two things here. One is 
I was really looking at the scene and trying to put myself in Lisa's shoes of like, I have been such close friends with Meredith for all these years. Do I not have this moment of, okay, wow, I'm realizing based on this conversation that my priorities are really off here. Like this is just insane. And then second of all, imagine what Jenny's walking into. I was trying to imagine her sitting there. And if I had overheard this conversation, like we always say, if someone had walked in the room while I was watching this episode and overheard this conversation between two women on television sitting down at a table saying, well, he made fun of my vagina. Like, what would I think? Well, I I wouldn't believe my ears. Listen, this is not new in the sense that there are a lot of times when a first season housewife comes into a scene and they are really greeted with the rowdiness of whatever the group is, right? This is some other shit. No, because they are taking it so seriously. This is like a core issue of the friend group and Lisa is working tirelessly to get them back together and this is what they're fighting about. They're not laughing about it. They're not bringing up something shady that they said in the reunion or a tweet that they said that was mean about one of the other women. They are literally like crying about this issue and Jenny is probably sitting there like, am I hearing this correctly? Right. Something else I was thinking of is like, listen, Lisa may or may not have recounted this lunch to Meredith, but she could have never explained it clearly. And I was thinking that when the episode airs and Meredith gets to watch the scene, to me, not one other word needs to be spoken. It's like, I can just watch that scene and know that I am more in the right in this situation based on the way that she was handling it. Yeah, for sure. Not that I even think she needs that validation, but it couldn't hurt. Yeah. I know we said it last week. I just have to acknowledge Jenny's daughter, Carlin, again. I'm telling you, this little girl is going places. All her kids are, seem to be really funny and they have like this camera presence, but she is she old enough to be on TikTok? I don't think so. But the day she does, we better watch out. Oh no, she's going to be a star. She just has it. Some kids you can just tell because some kids may be like that every single day with their family. But once the cameras are there, they get a little shy. And the fact that she's not shows that like if she wanted to have any sort of a career in this world, she probably could. Yeah, she totally could. I mean, I'll sign her. (laughs) (laughs) You literally would. Isabel opens up. We literally, we open up like an agency just to sign Carlin. Yeah, I just want, I just want to manage her. I have to tell you that I was really glad that Whitney had this conversation with Justin on camera because I feel like this is something that a lot of married couples struggle with. And I feel like anytime somebody voices like this, it just takes other people that may be experiencing it out of isolation. Yeah. And I also love just their dynamic. I did feel like at one point we were veering in a little bit of a negative direction when he started to say like, yeah, well, your business is important, but I also, you know, you got to be home for the kids and for our family. But I just feel like it was handled so well. And also her confessional about them having robot sex was amazing. She's so much funnier than we ever gave her credit for. She's no shame. Like she's just super down to be self-deprecating and funny and loose. I I feel like loose has a negative connotation, but that's what she is. She's just like loose in the best way possible. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. She's loose in a good way. It's like, okay, here's the best way I can put it. I kind of always feel like she's the same way that I would assume somebody would act after having like one tequila soda, you know? Yes. She, you know what? She just has permanent liquid courage. Right. Like no inhibitions, which is a beautiful quality, especially as somebody that's on a reality television show. Yeah. It's the best. We got to talk about Jen and Heather in this ice cave. (laughs) Like, I'm sorry. It's funny enough, like they're meeting for lunch, but then it has to be this whole dramatic, like they're in Game of Thrones with this in an igloo and Stu is walking her there and slips. No, when... (laughs) 
first we get Stu slipping, Heather slipping, Jen almost slipping, and then we get the churros in the fire. I was like, what? (laughs) What are we watching? Like, imagine you're like, hey, I really want to like talk. We haven't spoken in five months. Meet me in the igloo. This is when just like these filming locations become such a thing. They're not going to just sit outside at Starbucks or go for a walk around the block anymore. No, I know. And this was like a throwaway comment, obviously, because when they first walked in and Jen kind of slid in and Heather made a comment to her like, you know, this is why I keep you around. Like, this is why you always suck me back in because you're so much fun. It was obviously a lighthearted comment to kind of break the ice, no pun intended. However, I think it spoke volumes because aside from everything we just said previously, that's like potentially more of the deeper root of like, she wants acceptance and this and that. I also think that there is something that Heather finds almost like addicting and intoxicating about the chaos that comes with being friends with Jen Shaw in terms of like the fun. I agree. I think that is what almost leads their friendship. She thinks about all these good times that they have together when they laugh and they can just be silly, but those are important, but it's also not the foundation of a friendship. And to me, that just will never outweigh having respect and love and loyalty and not saying these awful, horrible things that get worse and worse as they come out more. Yeah, no. And I think she knows that. Like, I think that if you were to ask her, she could very clearly say that to you logically. But I think sometimes she gets, you know, a little bit persuaded. It's so hard because I feel like it's so much easier said than done. Like, from an outside point of view, we can watch and say, no, Heather, you're so much better than this. Don't fall back in the trap and don't do not do it and stand up for yourself. But it's like going back to a toxic ex-boyfriend. It's just... She just has some magnetic pull, like we said before, and it's too hard to say no. It's Yeah, there is definitely a magnetic pull. But in terms of the actual conversation, like when Heather's listing out the different things, you know, there's two ways to approach this, or I guess really three. There's like the one, which is to acknowledge how kind of superficial some of this stuff is. And like, you can almost make it a joke in a way based on some of the things that were said. The second is to talk about it more of like from the betrayal angle. But the third, which is kind of unrelated to them that I quickly want to touch on with you is like, we speak about this a lot because it's definitely a trend, not just in housewives, but the way that social media has infiltrated the drama in these shows is very interesting to analyze because this is never a conversation we would have been having five years ago. And now look at in Beverly Hills. Something that, you know, well, I guess that's different because Garcelle said it on Ellen, but things that happen in tweets, whatever they are, they make their way into the drama of the show. And there's something that is absolutely fascinating about that. Yeah. This whole episode, when you really boil it down, is Meredith pulling up things that Jen is liking on social media and Heather pulling up things that Jen has said or things that people have screenshotted. I guess it's because we're at the beginning of the season and so much shit went down on the off season that this is kind of the way that they bring it back up and then it will produce new issues. But you're right. It's just, it is really crazy. She's pulling up like, see, there's a blue check there. Like it's directly from Jen Shaw. And Jen having the audacity, the audacity, as Ramona Singer would say, to say, that's not me. That wasn't me. I never said that. After basically admitting that she called her a sea mammal, honey boo boo, manipulator, liar, racist, you know, Shrek last season, that now Heather shouldn't believe this inbox. Are you kidding? Listen, not to say that she ever had me, but that's when she really lost me. Like at this point, you are sitting in an igloo, freezing your ass off with this woman who you just admitted saying these heinous things about. 
you're now in the 11th hour going to pull out that stop? How do you want me to trust any single thing that you say? I just feel like she is a hot potato. Like she just wants to throw everything out of her hands and keep her hands clean. So whatever she can say to whoever's in front of her to direct the conversation away from her or make her not guilty is what she will do. So whatever's thrown at her, she just like thinks of the first thing and just throws it back in your face. And it's such a, it's just such a, a frustrating defense mechanism. It's frustrating, I think, for anybody, but specifically, I think, as the viewer for somebody like Heather, who I think we all collectively think is like a really good person with a really good heart that kind of, you know, gets affected by that more than somebody that has the ability to kind of deflect. I don't think Heather has the best ability to deflect. She really put, takes things inward. And by that same token, like, I just want to acknowledge something. You know, Jen did make the comment about race and kind of saying how like she's always wanted to fit in. She's always felt different. And, and you know, the way that she, these situations are handled is no different. And we've said it last season. I want to say it again. No part of this conversation is invalidating those experiences that she has had. I would never be the one to say it. Like That's just not my place. I'm not a person of color that grew up in the way that she grew up. I can't speak to that. That being said, that can be separated from some of the objectively irrational ways that she has behaved. And I think to put it all on that in this particular circumstance, and I'm echoing a lot of what I saw by other commentators that are people of color, you know, said the same thing. Like it's at a certain point, it's just not fair. Yeah, because there was about 10 steps before she even got to that point where even Heather said, I feel like this whole thing was flipped upside down and now it's on Jen again and back to Jen again. Now Jen is the one who's upset and saying, you know, I just feel like I'm never good enough. And it's like, how did we even get to this point at all? Right, exactly. I I just want to, I feel, I mean, listen, we're two white girls that do this podcast. I would feel uncomfortable if we didn't acknowledge that point. And again, I'm, I really do not mean to sound like I'm invalidating it because any, everything that she said, like, that's real. I'm not going to tell her it's not. I just think that you can say that and then still also acknowledge how hurtful the things that she did to Heather were. I don't think the two cancel each other out. No, definitely not. What is there anything else from this episode, really? No, that was it. Oh, well, I do want to just quickly say the thing about Jenny. You know, we are kind of introduced this plotline about her husband wanting another kid. And I think that it's good that they set the scene about it in this way because some of the teasers show that like it becomes more of a heated conversation as the season goes on. Yeah, I feel like this comes up sometimes with housewives of their plotline be- being, should we or should we not have another kid? But her intro to it was interesting also about how in their culture, a big family means wealth and also having like a family table discussion about it. And I think later on they get heated about it kind of. So I don't know. I'm interested. My immediate reaction when I saw that was like, I think I'd be kind of pissed if my husband, knowing that I don't want this, is bringing it up in front of my kids almost as a way to like pressure me. You know, like I don't think that would sit right with me. But again, it could just be their dynamic. Yeah. Okay. Let us go to Potomac. People have so many different hacks for getting a good night's sleep. And it's not to say that those don't work, but I really think you cannot discount the power of just good quality sheets and how much that can transform your sleep. I told you guys about these before, but as far as I'm concerned, Bowl and Branch are the best sheets on the market. And I think for me, the thing that like makes them so good is that they're really soft and luxurious while also being breathable. So they kind of work in all weather and their signature sheets are their bestseller. They come in 14 versatile colors in all sizes from twin up to California King. I have them in the color stone. I have them in the color mineral. I have the waffle blank and I have so many things from this company. Everything is just quality and their sheets are made with the finest 100% organic cotton and completely free from toxins. 
Also, they said this, but I didn't really get it until I started using the sheets. They do get softer with every wash and you'll see that. I've gotten these as gifts for so many people and every single person has been a repeat customer. And there's a 30-night worry-free guarantee. So you can wash, style, and sleep in their sheets for an entire month. And if you don't love them, you can send them right back. Sleep better with the softest, most breathable bedding from Bolin Branch. Get 15% off your order when you use promo code CBC at BolinBranch.com. That's Bolin Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com, promo code CBC. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Listen, the meat of this episode really happened in the last like 15 or so minutes, but just a few bullets that I would like to quickly discuss because then we'll really get into the majority of this, which all went down in a parking lot. I don't mind fluff, especially with the Potomac women, because I was just laughing for 35 minutes. Let me tell you, this entire episode could have been fluff and it would be worth it to know that Grace got her permit. No. When Giselle announces that Grace got her permit, I feel like we glossed over that a little too much. Like I needed the iPhone animation when you send like a message with fireworks. Right. Also, by the way, if I'm Grace, I'm like, you're going to tell me that you set up cameras in the car to capture the moment that I get back in after failing for my second or third time. And then you're just going to give my mom a confessional to tell it like, no, give me that same energy when I failed when I passed. No, they gave her like a full meaty scene when she failed and then she passes and it's like oh yeah grace passed what grace passed where's the party wait it's like grace passed and let me give you the meaty scene about how she's a fucking terrible driver it's like grace no i just want to see grace taking the photo celebrating with her sisters going out and getting food like literally grace we are so happy for you right yeah where was grace's sister's reactions because they were basically crying when she failed like they they shared in her sadness they should have the opportunity to publicly share in her happiness yeah like i don't want to see her crashing jamal's gucci car no like (laughs) i did not sign up for this fucking fiat and the cones no No, literally justice for grace justice for grace (laughs) anyway (laughs) and that concludes our potomac section (laughs) (laughs) The other thing I see you have on this outline, we stand Uncle Lump. I'm so glad you said it because that's exactly what I was thinking. I remember watching early seasons of Potomac and just thinking, what a nice man and what a good influence in Ashley's life and always being such a voice of reason. So to see him back on my screen and just again serving truth was just a joy. Yeah, it really was. I also feel like for Ashley, not that she doesn't have good friends, but what she went through with Michael, and and I would go as far as to say what she kind of continues to go through is, was traumatizing and probably is difficult. And so to know that she has like a built-in support system that is never going anywhere is so important. Yeah. And also just like a fatherly male figure in her life to give her a little bit of a different perspective than her mom does and her siblings do. I just, we love Uncle Lump. I also really appreciate that Ashley outwardly and continually acknowledges how beneficial their presence is in her life. It's kind of like she makes her gratitude for that very known, which I just like to see across the board, no matter who the person is. Because I think she realizes how grateful she is just to have good people and sit down and feel relaxed and get such good advice without feeling judged, which I feel like, especially when it comes to Michael, is probably a really hard thing for her to find. Totally, totally. Also, one other thing before the parking lot scene, just when Robin is going to potentially find a new space and she's there with Juan and, you know, I could be wrong. Tell me what you thought. My interpretation of this scene was that this is the first time 
definitely the first time on camera, but it kind of seemed like the first time that she was voicing to him at all the fact that she was maybe not completely comfortable with his communication style in terms of motivating her. I think she had maybe tried to say it in a little bit le- like more joking or smaller ways that that makes sense. But then this was like, no, I really mean business and this is affecting me. And here's what I want. Here's what I need. And here's what I'm hearing. And I like I felt like it was a healthy conversation. And I'm honestly really glad they had it because I feel like it needed to be done. It did need to be done. I mean, anytime that Robin is super open in the way that she feels with Juan, I, I appreciate I I wouldn't say I mean, he was receptive. He probably could have been a little bit more validating. However, they were also standing in like a storage lot. So (laughs) it wasn't going to get the same intimacy we're going to get like if you were laying in bed together. But I'm glad she said it because I felt she needed to. Yes. Okay. This music video shoot. Where do we begin? I mean, literally shit went down in this parking lot. Like I felt like I was standing in that parking lot for hours. So I can't imagine how these women felt. I was so stressed out with a countdown to sunset. No, no. The sunset is so frustrating. I don't get how people do it like with movie making and all that shit because you literally cannot control it. Like there's genuinely nothing you can do. Like you miss it, you're screwed. Yeah. And the lighting setup to even try to replicate it is just so costly and never gets the same effect. And you're just racing against the clock. And like it's an added stress that they just didn't need. They didn't need. And then on top of it for the cars not to show up and Chris is nowhere to be found. Well, okay. Here's the thing. Clearly, Candace and her mom have come a long way. And I think they obviously love and value each other and all of those things. That being said, even though, even if at the end of the day, like net net, Candace is happy that Dorothy was there, I'm sure her presence was adding an additional level of stress because it's like Candace wanted everything to go right regardless. But on top of that, she just didn't want it to go wrong in front of her mom. Right. She, I think she feels like she's to prove a lot to her mom. But I mean, Dorothy came to that parking lot and almost had the energy Ashley had coming to Williamsburg. Like she just had a fire under her ass and she wanted to talk shit to whoever would listen. Let me tell you something. I, and historically again, not the biggest fan of Candace. I did not think that it was right for Mia to engage with her mom in the way that she did. I I know that, listen, as we always talk about, one of the quickest ways to build like quick companionship with somebody is to have a mutual enemy and not that Chris is either of their enemies, but like they both have potential bones to pick or they have criticism that they can share in, which I understand if it was just like a random person, not when it is your friend and this woman's daughter's husband. I just think that it was a boundary that you don't cross. And if I was Candace, I would be so pissed. There's just so many things going on here because with Candace's mom alone, Yes, I do think that they've come really far and the fact that they can be civil and they get along and she moved out, great. But Dot is like, is a toxic lady. And honestly, it's hard to watch because you can just tell the issues that they've had for years and years are continuing on just in a new way. And then for the friends to get involved and for Mia to kind of add spark to issues that are already going on, like Look at the difference between the way Karen was handling things and the way Mia was handling things. Karen was trying to diffuse. She didn't want to disrespect Dorothy because she knows this how she is and she was hearing out what she said and she didn't want to like ruffle her feathers, but she also didn't want to make it worse. Whereas Mia was asking really probing questions and also putting little things in Dorothy's mind and also without saying it is now validating that, yeah, Candace's friends feel and see the same things that she does. So it's like, it's just, 
it, it was like so messy to watch and I just felt so bad. No, so messy. And listen, you're right. Like, I don't mean to put all of the blame on Mia. Clearly it was wrong on Dorothy's behalf to do that. Like, it's one thing, say whatever you want to Candace. Like, nobody's getting in the middle of your mother-daughter relationship. But when you go to her friends, to me, that's crossing a line. Or like, I'm putting myself in Candace's shoes. I'd be really pissed if my mom did that. At the same time though, I guess we've become used to Dorothy's behavior. Like we know that she operates like this. We know that she comes in and likes to stir shit up. And we know that she is not at all shy in her being displeased towards Chris and doesn't really care who she says it to. It's no different than saying it at the reunion. That's why Mia surprised me in this moment. I I just felt like it was low. I couldn't tell if she just wanted to be dramatic if she wanted to have like a moment where yeah, she's like, yeah, here I am stirring the pot, like almost that housewife confidence that she's gaining. And it felt uncomfortable to watch. And I also felt the same way that the other women watching like, oh, come on, Mia, like, don't go there. And maybe that's just because they know the relationship with her mom. Maybe Mia doesn't know. I have to give her that benefit of the doubt too. Yeah, I am unwilling to give her the benefit of the doubt because I'm sure she's watched the prior season. So she knows exactly what Dorothy and Candace's relationship is like. But on top of that, I think, yes, Baseline wanted to search some shit up, knew it would be good TV, which by the way, it was. I think the only reason it's a little bit deeper than that is because she felt like she could personally relate. So once she started to not just be there to have Dorothy vent, but once she started to say, yeah, I mean, I tried it with my husband and it went terribly wrong. Then it's like, okay, you are now inserting yourself and using a personal testimony in order to intensify your point and you're just doing it with the wrong person. Yeah. It would be fine to have that conversation with Candace or maybe even Karen, one of the other women, but don't put that in Dorothy's head because now I'm almost positive, given her track record, that this will be brought up again and Candace is not going to be happy. She's enough issues as it is. Yeah. What did you think about Wendy telling her, like basically saying to Candace, me is over there asking your mom if Chris is getting paid? I mean, I get people probably saying like, oh, she's snitching on Mia, but if I was Candace, and honestly, probably if I was Wendy, I would do the same thing. Because at the end of the day, if Candace doesn't know that information, it just makes her life harder. Because let's say her mom starts making comments or turns these things that she's hearing from Mia into like more action and it's it's getting her riled up. Like Candace, if Candace doesn't know that conversation went down, she'll just be wondering where this came from. Yeah, my only thing is that I probably wouldn't have told her at the video shoot because oh, yeah. Yeah. like it adds to the stress. But then again, I'm gonna give Wendy the benefit of the doubt of saying that we're on a TV show, you know, so like she probably felt like she needed to, but it was poor timing. But I agree. I think that if you really are somebody's friend, you almost it's almost like giving her a heads up because it's not like you're operating with a silent enemy. Like Dorothy is going to be vocal to Candace about what she heard. And exactly to your point earlier. Even though Mia didn't say to her, I am her friend and I agree, aka this is me validating to you that her friends feel the same way, her engaging in the conversation was a subtle form of camaraderie. Oh, and Dorothy is a smart lady. She's going to take that and twist it and turn it in any way she can. And she knows, oh, I'm hearing this from a friend. Now it's just another person on my side. And can I be totally honest with you? I disagreed entirely with the way that it went down. I hated that Dorothy was doing it at her shoot. I hated that some of the women were engaging, even, you know, Giselle. Karen, I think, tried to to play it off. All the all of that being said, I still think she's right. Like clearly the situation isn't working. I don't think that the husbandger thing can never work, but I think that with Chris and Candace, it's just not a sustainable situation. 
And I think Candace kind of knows that in the back of her mind that it's not working out. But I don't think she's ready to hear it from everyone else. She's like, let me figure it out. Let us take a minute. Let things go wrong and let us learn from our mistakes. I think everyone jumping down her throat at the very first project that they're working on together is just, it's not the right style for them. Also, because I feel like there are insecurities within Chris, potentially sparked from, you know, how this all started out with Dorothy and them living in in her house about like what he brings to the table financially as is. So this is almost blurring the lines too much. Like I, maybe it would work better if there wasn't that going into it, but that's such a conversation that has been had. And listen, Dorothy says it again when she's talking to Karen saying, I didn't expect that they would get married and he'd quit his job. Yeah, it's true. But I just think Karen overall handled this whole scene the best way possible. And Mia probably almost the worst. Yeah. Also because there's like an age thing here. It's almost like, I think as the viewer, whether it's this is correct or not, you subconsciously feel as though Karen has more permission to have this conversation with Dorothy because she feels like more of an equal to her in a way. I, I don't know. Like, I don't, I shouldn't say age. I should say more wisdom. Yes. And I just feel like Karen's really been showing that side of her this whole season. And I love it. Love it. I I really adore Karen. She's in hands down my top 10 housewives of all time. Yeah. She's just, she's a great woman. Like she has her crazy shtick, but she's great. Yeah. Anything else from this episode that we are failing to mention? No, I just, I got to go watch the music video. It's honestly a bop. It's a bop. I think she's talented. She is. Okay. To Beverly Hills we go. Doing your hair has the potential to be such a time-consuming process if you're not using products that really work for you, not as they really work with you. And for me, I'd say generally speaking, my hair is pretty easy to manage, but it does get frizzy. I have a lot of split ends, so I'm always looking for things to manage the frizz. And recently I've been into a new product from Way. It's their anti-frizz cream. So it's a really lightweight cream. It provides immediate frizz control that lasts up to 72 hours and also heat protection up to 450 degrees. So you're kind of killing two birds with one stone. And the thing I really like about it is that it helps reduce and repair split ends while quenching dry hair with intense hydration. So you can feel like it just feels good on your hair. For me, I get out of the shower. I always spray in the leave-in conditioner. I've told you guys about that before, but I love it. A little anti-frizz cream and you're good to go. I also, I mean, I love a lot of things from Way, but I like their detox shampoo. I don't use that every week, maybe once a week, maybe once every other week, but I feel like it gives my hair a really, really good clean. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to T H E O U A I dot com and enter promo code CELEBS for 15% off any product. That's T H E O U A I dot com promo code CELEBS. I obviously recognize they probably would not have been doing this if they weren't filming a show, but I was even still knowing they were filming so thrown off by Dorit and Kathy FaceTiming. And it was the funniest, most classic FaceTime ever because Dorit is going on and on and on. Kathy probably forgot she was on the phone and was just fumbling around in her insane closet and honestly could watch it all day. Oh, I could watch it all day. It's just so funny because I feel like Dorit seeks validation from Kathy so much. And so her even giving her the time of day, I feel like is a big deal. I feel like in normal circumstances, there's just no way Kathy Hilton answers her phone. I mean, she didn't even bring it. (laughs) (laughs) No, that is like, that is what I want to see. Because so pretentious, so rich, but so good and truthful and making her quote the lady meet her on the 
on the corner on the 405 to bring her her Chanel bag. Like that's the content that we need. Yeah, it is. It truly is. Also just in general, like when they're all at Kyle's house and they're getting ready, I understand that like the basis of this trip is not necessarily relatable in terms of like they're all showing up in the G-Wagon and the Range Rovers and they're going to this, you know, beautiful hotel. However, the palpable chaos and anxiety that Kyle has pre-trip to me is so relatable. You know how I get with packing? And I <laughs> Do love I that- know? Yeah, you know, it's like the worst thing about. I love that she shows that side. Same. And she's so worried everyone's leaving the front door open and letting the dogs out. And like having everyone at your house when you're already stressed about traveling, it's a lot. I also was watching with my sister and we really couldn't figure out why everyone was driving separately. Do you think it was COVID? I was about to ask you that. I do not understand. It was it was actually driving me crazy. Like I was glad they did it because if they didn't, we would have never gotten that brilliant Kathy on the 405 scene. However, yeah. it just seemed so stupid. I just was imagining them caravanning down whatever highway they're going in G-Wagon, G-Wagon, Range Rover, Range Rover, and a million GoPros like glued to the front of the screens. And it's just, imagine passing that. That's really like an LA moment, I guess. Yeah, but also- the other thing is like, okay, if they were going to drive fine, why did everybody have to take their own car? Like, why couldn't Kathy and Kyle have gone together? I know. And Kathy driving by herself? Like, who is she? Well, when she got there, she said, like, they, they asked her how the drive was. And she was like, I don't really drive in general. <laughs> what a humble lady this show has turned her into. I know. I mean, she's really down and dirty with the rest <laughs> of them. Driving by herself to La Quinta and Del Mar? Are you kidding? I know. Sutton, I mean, did we know about this ankle situation? No, and I, it really took over this whole trip for her. And I I know there were so many other things going on, but I just also know that feeling of when something like physically or medically is going on and you're away from your own home, it just sucks. Like it's just the worst feeling and it already puts you in sort of a down. Right, because I'm sure if filming wasn't a thing, there's no way that you would voluntarily take a trip that requires a lot of walking to get to place to place. No, definitely not. Yeah. Okay. Lunch on the beach that Kathy planned with the guy. What a beautiful lunch next to the seals. <laughs> the sea lions. <laughs> Whatever they were. And when she says, oh, they're posing like Dorit on Instagram, then the editors put a side-by-side of Dorit on a pool float. Like, come on. I know we throw this out there at times, and I'm sure that I've said it and not actually meant it if you really held my feet to the fire. However, I'm confidently saying in my top 10 confessional looks of all time, in addition to Garcelle in the red dress that I said last week, I would like to officially put Kyle's white blazer diamond necklace in the running. You know what? It's the jewelry and the glam. The hair and the jewelry for me are like the two most important things that you can bring in general, especially to a confessional. And she shops Stephanie Gottlieb and she gets the best blowouts ever. Like that is all the makings of a good confessional to me. Yeah, no, it really, really is. Anyway, so listen, we don't have to go through every single moment that happened in the scene, but like my general stance on this is I don't think there's anything wrong top level with like Erica defending why she's upset. If she wants to explain why she's upset, if she's upset for being called a liar or having somebody speculate about her lying, like you're allowed to be upset and you're allowed to not want to engage with Sutton. It's just the way that she's going about it. That's the part to me that's abnormal. That's the part that isn't justifiable. Like, I don't think that I can sit here and say you can't be mad at somebody for calling you out for lying. Like, I don't know what that feels like, especially in this high stress of a situation. It's just the way that she reacts is so hard to get on board with. What I would absolutely love is a sit down with Erica 
and either like Andy at the reunion, but also maybe like her therapist to really get a full deep understanding of why Liar so specifically hits her hard because there has to be something. I mean, we saw it. They even flash back to it here, which is when you know it's so connected. When Teddy just implied that she was not maybe telling the truth, never called her a liar. Same similarity there where she's just saying, you had amnesia. You're saying this one thing you forgot. Not saying, Erica, you are a liar. The same thing that is now happening with Sutton. Something about being called a liar or questioning anything that she has said or done to be not the truth is her pain point. And it it just, it gets her in such a way. I almost wonder if Sutton hadn't said anything about lying or the situation being a lie or that she lied about that one thing, which she did lie about that one thing. I don't know how she can't see that. And Sutton is not calling her an overall liar. But if Sutton hadn't said that at all, would she be this upset? Would she be this angry? And would she be holding on to it so hard? No, I don't think she would because it's not that Erica can't do confrontation. And it's not that Erica, I mean, I think that she can't really take jabs, but I think that she would be more willing to converse about one. You're right. This is just something about it that it really triggers her. I'm sure you can trace it back to something in her childhood, whatever that means. Obviously, we don't know because she hasn't been open about that, which is you know her choice. But do you agree with me that the way she talks about it, like it's just so off? And obviously, I mean, that's really highlighted when we're at the dinner because that behavior was just like, I mean, almost inhumane. But right? It's like, am I wrong? No, it is so just not how you really treat anyone. Not that Erica and Sutton were ever such good friends, but they were acquaintances. They're castmates on a show. So to see how quickly she can just turn and become this person is scary. Yeah. And it's like when you were talking, the word that came to my mind was like discard, like how quickly Mm -hmm. she can discard someone. And I... As I'm talking, I'm also thinking like the counter argument to that, which is like, okay, well, if you have a boundary and somebody crosses your boundary, it's not on you to then, you know, be a little bit lackadaisical in terms of your approach. But I think that there's an in-between. And I just think that the lack of acknowledging the possibility for an in-between is what makes it hard for me personally to get on board with her. I think it just has honestly nothing to do with Sutton in this point and everything to do with the situation that she's in picking someone to take it out on, hearing things that are being perpetuated about her, I guess, on the show, which is more important and gets way more eyeballs than any of like the blogs and tabloids and Twitter get. And it's just, it's almost like a perfect storm at this point for her to just really go all in on Sutton and avoid any further questions and almost scare everyone away from questioning her even more or like giving this don't fuck with me attitude. Right. Which like, Listen, if that's how she wants to come across, you know what? Again, that's fine. It's just more so uh, the villainization of Sutton is a little bit uncalled for. It's similar to like the Jen Brooks thing. Like the punishment just doesn't fit the crime. Yes. And when you really boil down to like what Sutton did, things only got heated because they had to get heated. At the end of the day, Sutton was pulling her friends together and saying, This is a fucked up situation that none of us have been in before where our castmate on our housewife show is being sued and all these things for fraud from her husband who's one of the – like, you couldn't write this. And she just wanted to come together and say, what the fuck do we do? How do we protect ourselves? Has anyone heard anything? And we're all kind of in this boat together. And 
Erica obviously can't see it now, but I think us as viewers can really relate to Sutton and saying, it's human nature. Going back to our human nature conversation, it's just human nature to say, okay, how does this affect me? And be a little selfish. And you know what, Erica, like you're on the other end of this. And if that's the worst thing you have to deal with right now, like you maybe need to prioritize. Also, by the way, like if the roles were reversed, couldn't you see Erica, especially with her lawyer husband, not wanting like that's the hypocrisy of it that I know we can't factually say, but to me, it just feels very hypocritical because I think that Erica would not approach it softly at all. And I actually think Erica would be a lot more similar to Sutton in her approach if God forbid the shoe were on the other foot. I almost think about the scene where Erica is calling Tom in there in New York and Denise like has questions about custody and Erica dials Tom up. He answers right away. She's asking him questions. Does she need this? Can you get her a lawyer? Whatever she was saying. And he was giving her all the answers. If the tables were turned, she would be either on the phone with Tom or in person with Tom or sitting down with Rinna and Kyle and saying, I spoke to Tom and this is the smart thing to do. This is what we got to do. This is our plan of action. And, you know, my lawyer husband says this, this, and this, and that's that. And like, I know we can't say for certain, but she maybe would handle it differently. Maybe she wouldn't call a huge, like over the top meeting that was too dramatic for her. I I don't think that's her style. And maybe that's what rubbed her the wrong way. And she's so deep in it that she's not able to flip the tables. But 100%, there's no way that she would just like say, no, I'm going to be a good friend, whatever you need. I'm not even going to look into this, especially her. I think that, yeah, exactly. I think what you're getting at also when you said like she probably wouldn't call a, a big group discussion, I think that there's a part of Erica that feels that Sutton is being performative in her mm-hmm. approach. And I actually disagree. You know, I'm not saying she was perfect. Nobody handled this perfectly, obviously, but I don't find Sutton's approach to be performative, or at least I don't find that to be the goal. It may end up being like, a byproduct of what happened, but I don't think she went into it saying, I want to cause a stir. No, I don't think she did either. I think that just was the first scenario that came to her mind. She felt it was the right way to deal with it. But hindsight's twenty twenty in life. Like maybe looking back, she would have handled things differently. But so what? Like that's just literally how it goes. Right. Exactly. Want to get into dinner? Fucking dinner. <laughs> Another moment where you could feel the palpable anxieties when Kathy and Kyle were like an hour late. They're funny. You know that feeling though. Wait, also, there was articles this week that I think Paris, Nikki, and Kathy hosted a Children's Hospital LA charity event. And then they went out to dinner at Craig's in Los Angeles after with Faye and a whole group of friends. And she went into the event and went into dinner wearing this like red and pink dress. And she left Craig's wearing literally like a tablecloth from the table as like a toga dress. And her friend next to her is holding her dress. So Kathy Hilton just walked out of creds getting paparazzi wearing the tablecloth. Yeah, but can, I need to know the backstory. Did she spill on herself? No, but I, I just I did she but her dress was red and patterned. Like you spill red wine, yeah, it's terrible, but not as bad as going in the bathroom and changing into a sheet. It really hit me when I saw the tag on the bottom of the tablecloth. Yes. Oh, it was like full industrial bulk order white table linens. Well, because at first I was like, there's no way. Like, this is just the Daily Mail being, you know, being overdramatic. And then I zoom in. I'm like, that bitch is wearing a tablecloth. Well, the first thing I thought was like, oh, they're just being snarky and saying her dress or her, her jumpsuit looks like a tablecloth, which some things people wear like are really flowy. They look like, oh, you're wearing a garbage bag. You're wearing a tablecloth. And then I like dug deeper. I'm like, oh, no, like 
she's literally wearing the cloth off of the table. Yeah, no, it's too good. It's too good. <laughs> okay, so, well, one honorable mention to Kyle making a callback to one of the iconic Kim Lisa scenes with the bread. There's something incredible about a callback to an also iconic scene and that they're in on the joke and also we're in on the joke. And the fact that Rinna and Kyle have an inside joke that is also one of the most like quoted and rewatched scenes on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills that we know. Like, I mean, genius. A plus, give them an Oscar. You know, I wasn't necessarily expecting Kathy to be the one that starts this all off, but she does by saying that she feels anxious because of the lingering issues. And that's really when we get into it. And I think the reason that it's always good when she's the one that starts it is because nobody is going to outwardly get mad at her for it. Like she just has a level of control over the group, which we've spoken about in the past. I don't know if it's because of the respect they all have for her, the esteem of the Hilton last name, whatever it is, she just operates at a different level than them. And it's very clear based on the way that everybody treats her. So she's allowed to kind of stir shit up and nobody's going to get mad about it. I feel like she carried that energy throughout this whole night. And a lot of the provoking comments or conversation were because of Kathy and not like she was trying to stir the pot or anything, but she was really being vocal and really honest, which in the past, I feel like she's kind of just been a bystander and jumped in when she felt like it was necessary. But I did feel like she sort of had a lead charge at this dinner, which I I loved. I love when the power dynamics change. Totally. I also want to just read this one quote of Sutton verbatim because after Kathy says this, Sutton says, and I quote, and the reason I'm reading it is so that you can really hear the contrast between Erica's response. She goes, I know that this is a thing. I did call a meeting, if you will, without Erica because I was in a nervous place, but I'm not going to apologize for it because I was only asking questions and you really did hurt my feelings and you were scary that night at Kathy's dinner. Erica, don't call me a liar. That says it all. Right. It's like, again, you have every right to defend yourself, but I just feel that her, it's almost like a lack of social skills or something. I don't know. I think she's, we keep trying to figure this out every week. She's always been cold. She's always been guarded, but this, it feels like a robot. She was triggered and there is just simply no going forward with this, which like, again, I understand like if we want to be respectful of people's triggers, we have to be across the board. It's just, Sutton is voicing that she was scared by your behavior and you are getting such palpable joy from intimidation. And that doesn't sit right with me no matter who you are. No, and I don't also think she needs to be like, I'm so sorry, I never meant to scare you. It wasn't my intention. Like, I don't expect that at all. It's just, it's very weird, especially because Erica's just basing this whole liar thing off of what she heard from the other women. And it's just not true. And I don't even think they said to Erica, Sutton called you a liar. They said, Sutton pointed out that you lied about that last car crash thing when you told us he only broke his ankle when really he was unconscious for hours and hours and had to have surgeries, which, like I said before, was literally a lie. So you have to own up to that. But Sutton is not labeling you as a liar, which to me, I think she thinks is worse. But questioning her at all, it's just it's sending her like she can't even see straight. You know, I do think that that point earlier that I think you made about like, it's also kind of shutting down any further discourse from the group. I don't know if that's her goal, but I have to imagine that it's somewhere there of like, you know what, this let this be a subtle cue to everyone else. Don't even attempt to question. Yeah, like let this be a lesson. You call me a liar, you question anything that comes out of my mouth, like this is what you're going to get and just consider yourself done. It's scary. It's like 
it's a defense mechanism, I guess. It's setting herself up for the future because there's going to be so many conflicting things that come out. But I, I don't know. I don't know if she's if she can think that far ahead. But then, to me, what just stands out is how the liar thing really triggered her also in the past. Yeah. You know, the other thing here is when they have this back and forth about like small town, small minded thing. The irony of that is that if anything, and I'm not saying that like Sutton is this, you know, huge thinker in terms of having so many grand ideas. I don't know enough about the way that her mind works, but if anything, she was the least small-minded one in her approach because she was actually thinking about it more of the big picture and how this could impact us down the line and how the association could. So Erica calling her small-minded to me is actually just an inaccurate insult. Well, the whole small town thing originated, if we remember, from Erica hearing that Sutton was just worried about her reputation and what the neighbors were saying, which wasn't really true. Like, yes, you could say, oh, she wanted to stay on the boards of these charities and things like that. And she was worried about what people around town were saying. And I get how Erica translated that into like how small town of her, you know, we live in Beverly Hills. Stories like this come and go. People have bigger shit going on all the time. Like this is not the biggest deal in the whole wide world. I mean, it is a huge deal, but she's trying to downplay it. But it was so much bigger than that. It was wanting to protect herself, that money thing that was that we didn't know about, about her wanting about her offering Erica money, about being cast members on a show, and all these things that they can't say because they can't break the fourth wall about their names being dragged into every single article or press release, or now everyone is watching this show that they star in with a microscope. Like those are all things that lead into this and Erica boiling it down to just Sutton being a small town girl and that being her mindset was just, it was so inaccurate. It was inaccurate and it was wrong and her actually putting it in the context of them being on this show and like who they are in the world of entertainment to me is the opposite of small minded. I understand the amount of stress that Erica's under and I know I could never ever relate to it and I don't wish that on my worst enemy. That being said, if you are choosing to do the show you have a responsibility to treat other people with a baseline level of respect. And the way that when, you know, Kyle chimes in of like, this isn't fixing anything. And Erica verbatim says, I told you guys, it's not going to be fixed. And she's done. Like that's her boundary. And she's done. Again, I understand setting that boundary at the same time. It just feels so mean. Yeah. It felt, it just felt really mean. I want to talk about Garcelle. I do too. Interesting. Like intro to this was, the conversation with Dorit when Garcelle kind of calls her out by saying, so you're saying that tell the truth, tell the truth. Is that really helping her? Which is a really interesting point, in my opinion, that Garcelle made because realistically, it's not helping anyone. It was actually the worst thing that could have been done. However, the one thing I'll agree with Dorit on is that that's exactly what Garcelle did to Dorit at the first dinner. It's true. And Dorit brings that up. But then when you also bring it back to the context of Denise and seeing how that just exploded and became terrible for everybody involved, and it was because they kept pushing her to say this, say that. You're not saying the whole truth. You're not saying what everybody knows. Like She wants them to learn from their mistakes. Whereas Garcelle, I felt, was just more holding Dorit accountable for things like there's not something that nobody's saying like they're saying what they mean and maybe it's not verbatim what they said to you last week I mean we kept saying that a couple episodes ago like it doesn't you don't have to repeat exactly what you said and your feelings are allowed to change but at least you're being in the realm of honesty like that's fine it's acceptable 
I know this whole like, you know, repeat exactly verbatim what was said is just so abnormal because that's not how real life works. And I know that these shows, even though they're reality shows, so much of it is bullshit, but you have to have a semblance of the way that real people operate. No, I know. And that's also frustrating because then when people repeat things and you're able to say, no, that's not what they said, you can watch it back. And that's why we love a reunion. When Rinna, you know, approaches Garcelle and she says, you know, you shared that you don't feel comfortable in this group. And Garcelle clarifies, it's not that I don't feel comfortable. I said, I don't feel accepted. When Rinna says for you to come out and say, these women are coming after me, it wasn't cool. That was you know, in reference to the last episode of Dorit's house, when Kyle makes the comment about what Garcelle said on Ellen. But if you remember in that episode, Lisa didn't even come to the high top that they were at. Lisa and Erica sat down together at that table and didn't even want to engage. So listen, overall, I'm glad that this conversation happened, which we'll get into in a second, because Garcelle, you know, was able to have such an impact. At the same time, though, it was weird that Rinna was bringing it up now when she purposely didn't say a word last week. Right. And it also shows that there was conversation about it at some point in between with the other women. What I still also don't get and I hate is as if this comment from Garcelle is like the craziest thing. She said, oh, the women are after me. You know, it's going to be a crazy season, whatever she said. That is like genuinely the most throwaway comment. Like you could put that in all of their mouths. I'm sure they've said things like that. I'm sure they've responded to comments or tweeted like, you'll wait and see. You know, it's a crazy season. Why is that what is making them so upset? Like, oh, you think it's painting you in this bad light? No, you're on Housewives. Like, it just it was just something she said. I That's what I said last week. It would have been so much weirder if she didn't say that. Like, everybody is expecting all of the women to be vicious. Like, if she was on, like, you know, it's actually been pretty calm where everybody's getting along great, people would be like, oh, then I don't want to watch this shit. Like, exactly. Say, like, couldn't you see somebody being like, I'm telling you, the daggers are out this season. Like, that is the norm. That's what everybody says. I'm sure that that's what the Bravo publicists tell them to say. That's like, if I had to make a poll doll for what they should say on press, like, that would probably be included in it. I really want to get into this though, because, you know, it's upsetting that it had to get to this point for some impact to be had, but I think it's really too important to not talk about because Garcelle basically says, already being the only black person in this group, and it's not about race, but have you guys ever thought that maybe it's a little odd for me? And Kyle says, I have, but I don't verbalize it. And her response, and I quote, but if you don't verbalize it, how am I supposed to know? Just because I'm strong doesn't mean that I don't have feelings. and I'm not fragile and I'm not trying to fit in. My whole fucking life, I've had to try to fit in. And, you know, this was a moment where it was very raw. And I think the women didn't exactly know how to react. They tried to just like surround her with a feeling of welcomingness and compassion and her response is like, it doesn't always feel like that. I walk in a room all the time and I always have to prove myself. Have you guys ever walked into a room and felt like you're the only one that's different? Kathy says, yeah. And Garcelle goes, try it your whole life. So beyond powerful. Was not expecting this at all, especially because most of the conversation really was about Sutton and Erica. I did not even think we were going to ever get back into the Dorit Garcelle thing. I really thought we put a pin in it last week, but- Garcelle opening up in this way, to me, says everything about the way she feels about these women because she was comfortable. She was honest with them. She, I think, felt like she wanted them to know how she was feeling and it was almost worth it for her that she likes them and loves them and wants to be their friend, that she could be vulnerable in front of them and just like a really powerful moment. 
I want to read a tweet from Taria Faison, who we went on her podcast, the What Else Is Going On podcast. She's fucking phenomenal. Everybody should listen to that anyway. But she tweeted and said, why do black women have to get vulnerable before people have real conversations with them? She said multiple times she felt excluded. They could have tried to have conversations then. It was only when she was crying that they were actually able to hear her. And I think that that point really hits because it was almost as though she needed to have this overwhelming display of like vulnerability for the point to be made, which... I understand it can happen with other circumstances, but I really agree with that point. It was like there was no willingness to accept that as a reasonable or acceptable frustration until she really got to the root of it. And I don't think that that's fair. No, you're right. It was almost like she had to get to her breaking point in order for them to hear her, which I just feel like is not fair at all. But what she did say was so impactful. And I I did feel like the women got it. I felt like they heard her. I mean, that's not a point that I can speak to. Like she would have to say if she felt heard from an outsider watching it, I felt that the reaction was really genuine and that, you know, Garcelle is not somebody who typically gets overly emotional, not in the sense of like, she's cold like Erica. That's not what I'm saying, but it's just not her style necessarily. Whereas, you know, some of the other women crying is like second nature to them. And so I think when somebody has a personality where they don't oftentimes come across as overly emotional. When they do, it's just inevitably taken more seriously. Again, that's not a good thing or a bad thing. I think it's just like factual. Right. Like there's more of, oh, we've only seen Garcelle cry once or twice before. It must be serious. Right. And again, I, I don't want to you know give these women too much credit by any means, but the comparison can't help but be drawn. I know we said this a few episodes ago. Like imagine if she said this to the New York women. No, I- it would be, they probably wouldn't even hear her. Right. Like, again, it's, this is how people should react. So it's not praising them, but I just do like to think about it in comparison. Yeah. I mean, I think they could have reacted better. They certainly weren't bad. I guess maybe we're jaded because we've watched how Ramona acts when conversations come up like this, but I'm curious now that it's happened because we kind of ended the episode once that conversation finished. I mean, the initial response was warm and like they were accepting what she was saying. But I'm now curious to see afterwards how Garcelle thinks that that went and also like the actions that they take after hearing this from her because yeah, they can be all hunky-dory, no pun intended in the moment, but actions speak louder than words. Right. And I'm also a huge believer of the fact that like it's such a more accurate judge of somebody, how they behave after you've voiced an upset, you know? Yes, totally. Yeah. Okay. So the sound bath that happens as a result of Kim's baby shower, which again, like that's the magic of the Kathy Hilton insertion. And for anyone wondering, Kim is Kim Kardashian West. I don't know if you've ever heard of her. Just like <laughs> first naming Kim around here. <laughs> so true. I literally, I don't think I've ever said any of their last names. Yeah, like Kim, whatever. Wait, have you ever done a sound bath, by the way? Like, no, but I was closing my eyes while they were doing it. And I was like, wow, I'm really relaxed right now. I was so emotional for me. I literally cried, which is the weirdest thing ever, but it's because it was my mom's biggest thing. Like we would do it all the time. And for her, I think it was her 62nd birthday. That's what we had. We had a private sound healing with like her and 10 of her friends. And it was her like most meditative place. And I so understood. I mean, this one didn't seem to be super impactful, but I understood why Kathy wanted to do it. Because if you do it right, it can be such a spiritual experience. 
first of all, we have to do it. And second of all, I think you also just have to be in like the right mindset. And they were just looking at it like morning activity when so much other shit was going on that they just couldn't really get into it. Totally. So obviously Kyle and Lisa go in Erica's room. And this is when we find out about Tom's brother asking the court to put him in a home. And, you know, Erica kind of shares her experience with her grandmother and they get into this conversation. To me, this scene was the realest I've seen Erica all season. Yes. But again, it's just more like stories and things. I feel like Kyle and Rena viewed these moments with her as a small, short opportunity to ask questions and that she is being vulnerable and that they're in more of a conversation that instead of like a Q&A, like, well, what is this? What is that? Like, no, they're just almost like girlfriends talking and it feels weirdly normal. And also Erica like has these little blimps of vulnerability. Yeah. Well, wait. Okay. What do you think if you're Kyle and you're sitting here, what did you think that she was thinking in this moment exactly? I think she was trying to just keep track of everything. Like literally, I feel like the USB drive, the folder that holds all of these Erica stories is full. I can't keep track. Like there's one car, there's two car crashes, there's two separate hospital incidents. Then there's the, like, I just, it's so much information overload and then to be hearing it in real time from her and like trying to process what you've heard from her versus your other friends. I mean, that's just really what I'm thinking. I feel like literally that meme of the girl doing math or the always sunny guy who has the huge board trying to connect everything together. That is consistently every time she talks, I'm tr- I'm just like five seconds behind trying to process. I know. And typically I feel the same exact way, but I felt like this was the, I don't want to say most believable, but this was like the lowest level thing here. Like it was factual that that did happen in court, that his brother wants to put him in a home. And the fact that she had a story about her grandmother to compare that to isn't so like outlandish. I'm sure that that really did happen. I I mean, we all have experiences like that, a lot of us with elderly people. So to me, I felt like this actually wasn't so convoluted. To me, this was like a really honest recounting of like, yeah, you know, all the shit went down, but I was married to this guy for 22 years. And then she brings in, this is the point that we have been fucking talking about. I don't know if we said it on the podcast, but you and I talk about this all the time, the role of his kids. And this is the first time or one of the first times that she said like, where are his kids? And in her belief, she feels like now that they have no more use of him and they don't want to get involved in the criminality of things that is going on, like they have no use for him kind of thing. I wasn't expecting her to say that. No, that was an element and a key puzzle piece I felt like we were missing. And I didn't know if maybe she just didn't want to talk about it. I have no idea what type of relationship she ever had with them, even before any of this. It was clear that her son was living with them and clearly had a relationship with Tom. When the burglary thing happened, he went to go check on him. Like he lived in the home with them. I, I we never hear about Tom's kids and their kids, like his his grandkids. I don't I don't know the deal, and I would really be curious to know more. Yeah, I really would be curious to know more. I don't know if we will know more or what the deal is, but I, you know, also Lisa and Kyle's response to me would have been the same whether or not they were on camera. Me too. In this moment, I, in this particular moment, I felt that it wasn't prying. I felt like they were literally just, they could tell that she was in the middle of a nervous breakdown, basically. And I think that they were there to just be a sounding board and a place of understanding. And like, I, I don't know, maybe people think that it's total bullshit. I felt that this scene was like the realest she's been this entire season. I do. Yeah. And I think that they want to be as 
supportive, but also neutral and also not incriminating themselves and also not hurting her feelings. Like it's a really difficult balance for them. And I don't envy them because it's hard when you're asking these questions, but you're also watching how she's responding to people. And it's just like every day is different. Totally, totally. Is there anything else that we are failing to mention from this episode? No, it was a it was like 10 episodes packed in one. That's how I felt. Like from beginning to end, there was so much going down. So many meaty scenes, like so many Candace parking lot scenes stacked on top of each other. But that's what this whole season has been. Nonstop. It's been non it's really been a fucking unbelievable season. Honestly, like yes, Erica driving force, but like it's just a good cast. I will say I am beyond excited for this reunion. Maybe the most excited I've ever been. The reunion looks were just not simply it for me. Well, a lot of people DM'd us like, I want to hear what Isabel thinks about this because, you know, one of the biggest things we always talk about is the lack of cohesion in the OC reunion. And listen, with Beverly Hills, they're going to have a beautiful backdrop, but give me a theme. Like, remember when they had the Potomac women do yellow, which is the hardest color to nail and every single one of them brought it? Like, give me a fucking theme. I like, I just don't know how I feel because I sometimes don't like a theme and I think it's hard to stick with. And I think it maybe like comes across too produced, but also like maybe a family, like metallics, neutrals, let's all wear like gem tone and we're going to do black tie or we're going to do cocktail. It just felt like they were all going to very different parties. And I, I just miss, I don't know, but then it's like, I also really miss like the chaotic earlier reunions where they're all just in like little skin tight Hervé Leger dresses or like skirts. I, I don't know. I'm, I have mixed opinions all the time. It's the same way we feel about confessionals. I think for me, I like when there's a theme because it's already so chaotic. I don't want to have to like be drawn to the fashion. And also Sumi. I like Dorit's look. I know a lot of people hated it. I loved it. No, I loved it. And honestly, individually, they all didn't offend me too much. Just together. It's a lot. Yeah, completely. <laughs> but guess what? It's one what? time where I just think the fashion genuinely won't matter because we're going to be so intrigued by everything they're saying. Oh my God, as well. We won't even, they could be in garbage bags and we'd be equally as down. Yeah. Anything else you want to mention about anything in the entire world? <laughs> in the entire world? How much time you got? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's it. I think so too. We love you guys so much. Thanks for letting us do this. And. We will see you next week. Remember, there's no episode on Monday. So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service, I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada, yada, yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like you shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide.